Hello, and welcome to another episode of Season 3 of Legal Wellbeing in Action. Today's episode, The Other Side of the Bench, The Importance of Resilience from a Judicial Perspective, is another installment in this year's theme, Wellbeing a Deeper Dive. For this episode, retired Judge Sandra Engel talks with retired New Mexico Supreme Court Justice Barbara V. Hill, New Mexico Court of Appeals Judge Shamara Henderson, and New Mexico Second Judicial District Court Judge Brett Loveless about the importance of resiliency in the practice of law, including when serving as a judicial officer. The Justice and Judges talk about strategies and practices to combat secondary trauma, decision fatigue, security concerns, and the pressure of serving the public in a high-stress position. Thank you for listening. We hope you enjoyed today's episode. All right. Thank you, Bill, for that introduction. And hello, everyone. Thanks for listening in today. I am Sandra Engel, the Judicial Wellness Program Manager. I'm also an executive coach and a recently retired judge from the Bernalillo County Metropolitan Court. I also serve as a member of the State Bar Wellbeing Committee. And part of this year's wellness initiative is to produce these legal well-being and action podcasts on a variety of topics concerning the well-being of lawyers. Today, we're gonna bring you a unique offering of wellness from a judge's perspective, a view from the other side of the bench. We'll be discussing resiliency, why it's important, and how judges use their resiliency skills to handle those unique stressors and challenges that we face on a daily basis. We have with us uh, today, three very important guests. We have retired Justice Barbara Vigil, Court of Appeals Judge Shamara Henderson, and the second Judicial District Court Judge, Brett Loveless. Judges, welcome to the podcast and thanks for lending us your time in this important area of wellness. And I wanna say it's no accident that you three were chosen for this particular topic. I, as well as many of your peers, see you as professionals who in the face of adversity and a lot of challenges um, that the court is constantly throwing at us, you, you tend to keep your composure and your positive attitude and even your sense of humor. And so thanks for letting us find out what the secret is in the sauce. Uh, we all know as judges that we experience stress in many forms in our work life. And sometimes that can even carry over into our personal lives. Uh, secondary trauma and decision fatigue, security concerns, you know, burnout, all of it, trying to manage it all. We're put in those positions of, of trying to rely on our own resources um, to handle all the things that are thrown our way. And so today, what we want to do is explore what that looks like for each of you and what tools and strategies you might use to support you in this high stakes decision making career. So judges first, before we get started, why don't you each tell us a little bit about who you are and the path, what the path to the bench look like for you. And I'll start with you, um, Justice Behill. Yes, and good morning. Thank you for inviting me to participate in this podcast on resiliency uh, as a judge. Uh, my path to the bench uh, began probably when I when I was born. I'm born and raised in New Mexico and always um, believed that I wanted to be of service to others. And I um, attended a New Mexico State University and then on to UNM Law School. So I've been in New Mexico uh, my entire life. 
I decided to uh, seek a position on the trial court bench, the district court bench in 2000 after serving as a lawyer in private practice with my own law firm in Northern New Mexico. I had done some government work at the attorney general's office and at risk management division. But after 15 years of, of practice, decided to um, seek an appointment and uh, election to the first judicial district court, primarily because it was a children's court judge position. And I was very interested in children's law. So I was fortunate to be appointed and then elected to the uh, first judicial district court and took the children's court docket where I uh, served as a children's court judge for 10 years. Um, after 10 years, decided to turn uh, to the civil docket and served as a district court judge for two years in the civil division and as chief judge of the first judicial district court, and then pursued um, the position as a uh, justice on the New Mexico Supreme Court, where I was elected as a Supreme Court justice in in 2012, served as a, an associate justice, as a chief justice, and as a senior justice on the New Mexico Supreme Court. I retired from the Supreme Court in 2021. Um, and so that was my path uh, to, to the judiciary. Thank you. Thank you for letting us know. How about you, Judge Henderson? So um, my path um, started clerking for Justice Charlie Daniels, um, and he really kind of set the tone for a lot of the things that I thought about um, as a lawyer, um, serving community in different capacities. Um, so I was a state and federal prosecutor for a long time. I was an attorney in the governor's office. And then I started my own practice where I did majority criminal defense and civil rights work. And in each one of those with the concentration of how am I supporting my community? How am I representing my community? And so that was a natural um, change to going into a judgeship. I still remember when my law partner um, came into um, my office and said, you know, there's a recent opening on the Court of Appeals. You should seriously consider putting in for it. And I'd always wanted to be a judge, but I thought I would probably start off as a trial judge. And I was like, okay, I have to really think about this. Um, and so I spent a few days doing that, talking to several friends, mentors, and decided that it would be a great opportunity um, for several reasons. Um, one being, right, the Court of Appeals is the direct court of appeals. Um, so we handle so many cases um, whether it's error correcting or um, cases of first impression. Also, I'm a strong believer that diversity on the bench is extremely important. And we'd never had a black judge as an appellate judge in New Mexico before. Um, and that is unfortunately a role that I've taken on being a first in several different capacities in that way, but I thought was important for the judiciary in New Mexico. And so that was my path to the Court of Appeals. Thank you, Judge Henderson. Judge Loveless. Well, good morning, and thanks for inviting me. I, um, you know, I never, being a judge was never uh, sort of something I thought I would ever do. It just never even entered my mind. When I graduated law school, I was 25, and I worked for a small plaintiff's firm uh, with Jim Toulouse, who was an old-timey 
sort of uh, gumshoe lawyer who, you know, they used to do everything. And so he was very colorful and uh, really exciting to work with because it was just it was just a fun experience. But I remember one lawyer telling me when I was appearing for a hearing one time who I was working with, um, he I was 25 years old, just recently passed the bar. And he said, you know, Brett, you 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 look like you're eight years old, so no one's going to take you seriously. So the bar was set fairly low for me. So I figured uh, the sky's the limit. I really have nothing that's going to hold me back. Um, and then to get trial experience, I went to work for the district attorney's office in Albuquerque, um, and I really enjoyed it. Um, I really enjoyed uh, the trial work and criminal work. I had never done criminal work; it's mostly civil. Um, so I, I spent a long time there. I did dabble a little bit for a couple of years in civil defense, uh, and I enjoyed it. But I really enjoyed criminal law more so, and so ended up back at the DA's office. Uh, and then ultimately, um, a, a position, several positions opened up with the uh, district court. Uh, I applied for one and was not appointed and then applied for another and was. Um, even then, I still didn't think that being a judge was sort of <laughs> in the realm of possibility. And maybe someday I'll come to realization that it is, uh, even though I've been here for about 11 years or so. Uh, so that's that's essentially how I ended up at the bench professionally. Thank you for sharing that, Judge Loveless. Um, and it was my pleasure to work with you at the DA's office as well. We were there together. Um, let's jump right into today's topic. Um, resiliency on the bench. When I say that, um, what does resiliency mean to each of you and why do you think it's important to have it on the bench? And I'll start with you, Justice Behill. What does resiliency mean to me as a judge, um, primarily um, a trial court judge? I think it's how do you keep going and show up and be on the bench and how do you perform your job with clarity and calmness? That's resiliency on a daily basis for me in, in serving on a trial court. And I think there's two aspects to this. One is a practical aspect, which is managing your docket, managing people, managing your calendar, and how do you manage that to make your day less stressful? Uh, so it's the administrative aspect of being a judge, your office, your calendar, your cases. How are you moving things through in, a, in an efficient manner? Um, the other is a mental aspect to being uh, resilient. And that is, it's very easy to get pulled into the conflict before you. Um, how do you, um, it's very easy to get tipped off balance and so you've got to make sure that you have a temperament that is level and does not allow things to escalate in your courtroom. You're dealing with conflict every day. And, and uh, how do you manage that? And I think you manage that through um, really taking good care of yourself in, 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 in your life. And, and that's your well-being, your health, your diet. What are you doing outside of the courtroom, outside of the job? to make sure that you're healthy, emotionally healthy, um, getting, getting enough rest, diet, exercise, all of those things. So I think resiliency takes into consideration those two aspects of being a judge, the practical part, the administrative part, making sure that you are managing your office 
in a manner that keeps stress at a minimum. And then um, the mental state, making sure you have the temperament, you're rested, you're, you're feeling, feeling good and taking okay. care of yourself. All right. Thank you. Um, you know, I like what you're saying about the taking care of yourself. I think in this wellness podcast, we all need to keep that at the forefront of what that looks like. And we're going to get into specifics maybe about how you guys take care of yourselves. But let me ask you, Judge Henderson, what do you think about um, resiliency? Why is it important to you? And what does that look like for like, what does that mean to you? Whenever I think of um, resiliency, I always think of the ability to bounce back right? Um, you can't control other people's behavior or what happens around you necessarily. So how do you come back from situations that aren't necessarily positive or particularly stressful for you? Um, and I think similar to what Justice Vigil just talked about in terms of trial judges applies similarly to appellate judges, right? In terms of how are you managing your docket? We don't have a lot of deadlines and we don't go to court every day, right? So you don't have that kind of opposite stress where you're constantly trying to meet deadlines. We don't have deadlines other than the six month rule. So you have to stay on top of it yourself. So finding that discipline to actually get your opinions out in a timely manner without that kind of laboring, like you have to get it out by this date or these you know these parties are going to appear in front of you. So you have to be prepared by a certain day. Um, and learning how to do that, um, I think is a distinction in those two roles. Um, also being on an appellate court, you have your own chambers, right? Your own law clerks, your own staff, but you also work on panels. Um, and sometimes those panels where everybody is agreeing are, are very collegial and work out very well, but sometimes obviously you disagree on how to handle something. And that kind of creates like this inherent um, ability to create stress, right, amongst your peers. And how do you deal with that in a collegial way? And I think having resiliency and understanding that all judges are human, right? Their, their responses to things may not necessarily always be how you would prefer, um, but you can still come back and work out those disagreements and either come out with a majority opinion or have respectful dissents to each other. Um, so I think that that's also kind of like a unique thing in the appellate world as well. Um, and then of course, with all that, how do you bounce back in all of those um, situations? And finding the balance of you're showing up, you're getting the job done, you're doing what you need to do, but you also are making time for your mental health, your emotional health, your physical health, your spiritual health, right? So you have that balance so you can be resilient in the face of whatever occurs at work. Thank you, especially for sharing those. It's so interesting to hear about the unique um, stressors that you guys have. Um, on the Court of Appeals that we don't think about, like working with your colleagues. I mean, we have to work with ours, but not in the way you do. And so having to really find that compassion and empathy when you're seeing someone else's point of view, it's so interesting. And that self-motivation, that's another, I love that you pointed out those unique stressors. Um, thank you for that. Judge Loveless, you know, working in one of the most stressful <laughs> and I would say busy courts in the uh, state, what do you do? What is maybe not? Maybe we won't get into specifics yet. But tell me your overall thoughts on what does resiliency look like? Um, well, what does it mean to you, and why is it important to you in that job that you're in right now? Well, I think resiliency as a judge, a trial judge, uh, or professionally, uh, whether it be as a uh, as a judge or as a lawyer, 
Um, I've always thought of it as um, you have to have, in order to do such a, a stressful job, to work at such a stressful job, no matter what field of practice you have as a lawyer uh, or what discipline you're uh, judging, uh, what kind of case you're judging, uh, you have to have sort of a, what I would say is a true north. Uh, and I, I agree with Judge Henderson, it's a, a, the ability to bounce back, but it's to bounce back to where. And so I always sort of um, think of it as um, I, the way I've always approached professionally my job is uh, to uh, th recognize that I'm serving something greater than myself. Uh, I have, you know, there's a purpose. There's a reason I'm doing what I'm doing. Um, there's a great movie, uh, City Slickers, where Billy Crystal's character is a big city guy who goes uh, to sort of get refreshed on a and, and goes on a cattle drive. Well, he encounters this old cowboy and they have a philosophical discussion about what is the meaning of life. And Jack Palance, who plays the old cowboy, says it's one thing. It's just one thing. And so Billy Crystal says, well, what is that? And he's like, it doesn't matter. But whatever it is, nothing else matters. Nothing else means squat. And I think that once you find that calling, once you find that higher purpose that you're serving in whatever discipline you're, you're engaged in, then you have something to bounce back to. You have that true north. Um, as a judge, um, I have a little bit of a different experience from Judge Henderson and, and Justice Vigil. And I suspect Justice Vigil had this experience when she was a trial judge. Um, as, as being the sole decider on any issue and being the only judicial officer uh, it's it's empowering in one sense because you make the decisions and what you say goes, uh, but on the on the other flip on the flip side, there's a lot of pressure because it's isolating and you don't always know that you're what you're doing is right or it's the correct outcome, and you don't have the collaborative uh, atmosphere that you might have on an appellate court where you can tap into other people and hear different perspectives and it sort of hones what opinion you might arrive at. Um, I have served on the Supreme Court being designated as a district court on a few occasions. And it's a fascinating experience to participate in that sort of collaboration. Um, but it always makes me just love coming back home and being, being the master of my own little kingdom, uh, even if it's dysfunctional and it doesn't work well. Um, but it's 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 also got a lot of pressure. So I think that uh, a lot of the same things that Justice V. Hill and Judge Henderson referenced about how you maintain that balance uh, whatever it is, uh, and whatever sort of uh, um, sort of true north you have, as long as you keep that in mind, I think you can put things in perspective, and that really helps you. At least it helps me uh, maintain that balance that keeps me fresh to do the job day in and day out. That's wonderful. A lot of wisdom on this podcast. Um, I would love to get into a little bit more of the specifics of how you actually support yourself through times of um, stress, and change, and um, challenges. What are some of the things, if you don't mind sharing, that you do to support yourselves um, while you are serving in this role? And I know, Justice Vigil, you've retired. However, I know it's very fresh. And I know that you also served on a um, in a different role recently that probably brought a lot of stress as well. So I'm sure you have very recent experiences of how you take care of yourself in those stressful stressful situations. What are some of the ways that you did that, or do you still do that, Justice Behill? Yes, um, as a trial court judge and as a Supreme Court justice, I think 
I always um, try to keep in mind that while the courtroom is typically a very serious place as it should be, it is also critical to make it welcoming, uh, to be calm, to smile, to enjoy the process, to make it inviting for uh, individuals to come in and seek justice. And I think that can resonate from the judge uh, through staff and then to the litigants in the courtroom. While you can be firm and serious as you should be, you can also uh, bring to the courtroom a sense of calmness, a sense of uh, reasonableness and create an environment where people feel comfortable and that is where you're going to really be able to administer justice, where people do not feel intimidated or it's, it's, it's scary enough as it is to walk into a courthouse and walk into a courtroom. And so I think as a judge, both as a, a trial court judge and a Supreme Court justice, it was always my um, approach is to try to make people as comfortable as possible in the courtroom and yet carry out the just, justice in a serious manner. Um, you know, what kind of self-talk do you give, make, have for, with yourself when things do get stressful? Um, taking a break when you feel your emotions are getting um, uh, to a point where you cannot control them, I think is key. Um, but making sure that you can also use the position as a judge and a justice, um, an appellate judge to, to really make changes in a system where you see improvement can be made. And I found a great deal of satisfaction and um, for a professional um, 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 satisfaction in working on projects outside of just deciding cases, working on the improvement of the administration of justice, whether that would be in children's court, um, working in communities, making sure that we are working together for the improvement of people's lives. I found a great deal of personal and professional um, satisfaction outside of sitting on the bench and, and using my role as a judge to do that kind of work. Wow, that's wonderful. And you know, one theme I heard in there is the theme of resiliency starts in an organization from the top. So if, if attorneys are listening to this, you know, I know your staff probably saw that in you. And we've probably all seen where judges maybe aren't as resilient and what their staff tends to expect and sort of know as the norm can be a little tricky. And so looking at that top down, like if I can make sure I can control things in a resilient sort of um, compassionate manner and showing that firm control with kindness, that it kind of filters down. Did you feel that way in your organization? Absolutely. And, you know, I always, I would seek out mentors, um, professional mentors for me, like Judge Jim Hall at the First Judicial District. You know, I would I would knock on his door and visit with him about how he administered his courtroom, um, how he uh, uh, dealt with the challenges. Judge Michael V. Hill in the First Judicial District was also a great um calming influence in and teacher to me in my early years on the trial court bench and then of course on the supreme court i served with really some outstanding 
um, justices like Justice Daniels and Justice Edward Chavez, and of course, uh, Justice Maez and Justice Boston and so on. Um, so just really learning from others and seeking out that professional advice and consultation when one does feel a little bit, you know, pushed into a corner and feeling like you're not um, being your best. Mm -hmm. That makes a lot of sense. Let me go to you, Judge Henderson. What do you think? What kind of tools do you use for yourself or resources to help you find resiliency? There's um, several uh, tools or um, sometimes I like to say like playful things that I like to use um, for resiliency. Um, first and foremost, I would say for me is meditation um, that helps me balance my nervous system, right? If something you have like a really bad day or you feel like somebody was, you know, behaving in a certain way that was just really stressing you out, right? Like starting my morning off with meditation helps me go back into the next day or sometimes when I get home, right? To just kind of calm myself because it gives me clarity to be able to look at the situation from a more distant space, right? So I'm not sitting in the middle of my emotions cycling. I've pulled back a little bit and I can say, okay, like, my feelings are valid. That's okay. <laughs> but mm -hmm. how can I address the situation um, in a calm and collegial manner that I, or, or way that I think is going to be more helpful to the situation at the end of the day? Um, and so meditation practice has been a big part of my life for quite a while, but I would say probably the last 10 years, even as a lawyer, um, that's something that I've relied on to really kind of balance myself out. And so I can show up with that resiliency um, to handle situations and I think in the best way possible. Um, one of the other ones is um, working out. Um, I've always been an athletic person. I was a professional ballet dancer growing up, right? So I always had that outlet. And for the first time, which kind of goes and think, what are your other questions a little bit? For the first time, you know, I became a judge the week of the, the statewide um, shutdown and all the gyms were closed, the bar studios were closed. And so I'm at home learning how to be a judge by myself, stuck at home. And I'm not a workout at home person. I know some people are, I am not. I like have to pay and go somewhere <laughs> and be around people. Um, so I had a job all of a sudden where I'm not running around from courthouse to courthouse and writing briefs at night, right? I'm just sitting at home all the time. And I'm in a job where you either sit in front of a computer or you're sitting on a bench. And I learned about a year and a half in when my body started hurting and I noticed my reactions to things were changing. I was like, what is the major difference? And I was like, oh, I'm not working out anymore. I don't have that physical outlet. Um, so now I joke, you know, that I work out for at least an hour a day to combat sitting for 10 hours a day. Um, so working out to me is um, hugely important. Um, also one of the things I've learned since I've been a judge, uh, thank to you, thanks to you, Judge Engel is judicial coaching, right? When I became a coach, we had a trainer, um, Jan, who was just so amazing throughout that training that I hired her as my judicial coach and having her to reflect on being a new judge, right? The new issues I was facing, how am I feeling about my purpose and becoming a judge dealing with isolation of being a judge, um, all those things, she helped me figure out how I can be more creative in my job, which was important to me, um, how I could find things that I found to be isolating, more fulfilling than how I was seeing them 
at that time. So having that judicial coach resource was huge for me in developing um, my space and my, you know, my mental awareness of where I am as to this is what I want to look like as a judge. This is my purpose as a judge. And this is how I can be fulfilled as a judge. Um, even though it's dramatically different, being an appellate judge is dramatically different from being a trial attorney who does their own appeals, right? So that's that dramatic change in my life that was really helpful. And then also I agree with an environment. Um, our chambers are so small, right? It's myself and two law clerks and we all kind of have our own silos of chambers and ensuring that that environment is calm and safe, especially for usually young lawyers, right? Who are coming in and all of a sudden you're asking them to help you write opinions. Um, so everything down from how I show up, the energy that I bring to my chambers, but also just what my chambers looks like. Like there's usually flowers, which you can see in the background, right? Just those little touches for people to come in and be welcome. And, you know, when other judges come into my chambers or we have visitors and they come in and they're like, oh, wow, this is so peaceful here, right? Like that, I take that as a compliment that I'm holding the proper energy for everybody to feel invited and safe and in the situation where that they can flourish. Wow, those are great practical um, kind of tips to give people to think about. I wanna ask you, you know, I'm hearing meditation come up more. I remember as a new judge when we never even talked about wellness when I was first starting on the bench 16 years ago. So um, I remember hearing about meditation and now I, I use it just like you, I love it. But if we were talking to someone who's new and really doesn't know how that's really gonna benefit them, what could you say about that? And how is that going to really, how could they get started? Does it take a lot of time? I mean, could you just touch on that briefly? So I think a lot of people's fears about meditation, right? Is like, oh, you have to sit there and clear your mind for an hour. And then someone sits there for two minutes and every like thing that stressed them out that day is popping into their head or what they need to do when they're done with their meditation, right? And what do you want to call that? Some people call it the monkey mind. Other people call it like, you know, I think letting that be okay, right? Every single time I sit down to meditate, I don't immediately go, because I've been doing it for so long, I don't immediately go into like this like very clear space. Um, sometimes I do, but sometimes I don't. And so I actually keep a journal, right? Of like the things that are popping into my mind. I'm like, okay, well, I'll write these down and I can deal with it later. Like it helps me push that out to the side, right? Um, and then there's different types of, I mean, there's so many different versions of meditation. Um, and some of them are just like really good grounding ones, right? Where it's just like, you can get your energy. So this is kind of like a, I feel like it sounds corny, but it's really helpful where you're just like sitting there saying, okay, like if you are grounded to like whatever space, right? To whatever your spiritual belief is and just kind of envisioning that for yourself, like an actual visualization. So if you are, um, in a place where you want to be more connected to spirit or whatever, right? Like you actually see that in your mind and you just focus on that. And what does that look like? And what does that peacefulness bring to you with that connection to whatever your belief system is? And I think that that having those visualizations in your mind is actually really, really helpful because it gives you something to focus on and you kind of clear everything else away. And like I said, just being comfortable with your meditation might be five minutes, it might be 10 minutes, maybe it's an hour, um, but it takes time to build up to that. 
and kind of giving yourself grace and knowing that you don't have to sit down and have this perfect meditation every single time. And it sounds like what you're trying to do is almost get out of your head and into a different space and giving your brain just a break, right? And just because we have so many thought bubbles every day over our heads that just to have a minute where you can just give your brain that minute to breathe. So I really appreciate your sharing that. And thanks for those other things as well, both of you. Um, Judge Loveless, what do you do? What, what kind of tools and resources do you have to help you manage all of the things that come your way? Well, I think um, as a trial judge, I, um, I have a, a great respect for the process and what it is exactly we have in the form of a judiciary. Um, and, you know, on a daily basis, I have folks coming in front of me and th this is, these are events and uh, decisions I make are things that impact their lives greatly. Uh, and I exclusively have a criminal, uh, I'm in the criminal uh, division. So, you know, we have uh, vic victims of crime, we have uh, defendants, we have family members of both. Um, we have we have a lot of folks who are interested, uh, not just who are participants, but also um, people in the public who are concerned about what's happening on a daily basis in our community. And so I have a great deal of respect for that. I think that there are things that I learned to do. Uh, there really was no manual on how to be a judge. Um, I don't know that anyone could write one, uh, quite frankly. <laughs> I mean, uh, and and so it was interesting. I kind of became a judge and then realized, well, what do I do now? I don't really know what to do. And, and people keep tell, kept telling me, well, you do whatever you want. You're the judge. So that was not very helpful. But I sort of tapped into experiences that I had in the courtroom where I watched judges who I had a great deal of respect for. So there are judges who were incredible, had an incredibly calm presence and um, they didn't say very many things except when they ruled, but when they ruled, uh, you knew exactly where you stood. And that was sort of the end of the, that was the end of the argument. And you just moved on from there. And one name that comes to mind, Frank Allen was the master of that. He didn't say much, but when he did say something, you listened. But I also learned from folks who really knew how to deal with people. Um, I watched Pat Murdoch a lot, and this was a man who, um, he could meet anyone at any level and converse with them uh, from, you know, something, someone who's a, a, a high level professional elite kind of person to someone who uh, is impoverished. Um, he could meet them on their level and have a communicate, have a conversation with them. And so when I became a judge, I tried to emulate a lot of those experiences and things that I saw judges do that I thought were effective. Uh, and I think that it's important to, to use those tools in how you deal with folks in the courtroom because they have certain expectations they, and, and, and reasonable ones. They want to be treated fairly. Uh, they want to get a decision. They want decisiveness because their lives are on the line and they need to have closure in whatever form or fashion. Um, and so I try to be decisive, but at the same time balance that if there are circumstances where I have to take time to make a decision, then that's what I'll need to do. But I do try to give uh, lawyers and the parties expectations about how this is going to go, what my decision will be, and how we're going to proceed. And it's amazing to actually see it in the courtroom because I'll, I'll have attorneys in there that are fighting like cats and dogs on a particular issue. And it's amazing, I'll make a decision and it may satisfy one side or the other or neither. But there's just this 
and and you can even see it on non-lawyers who are interested in the case. They they they're just satisfied with getting a decision, whatever it may be. Um, and one thing that comes to mind, I remember having a sentencing one time uh, and trying to figure out a, an appropriate sentence for someone. And there was no right or wrong answer. Uh, it was, you know, coming up with a sentence that I thought was appropriate and fair under the circumstances. And it was amazing because uh, the, everyone in the courtroom felt like, okay, that's the, that's the decision. And, and they were satisfied with the fact that a decision was made. They might not have agreed with it, but they, they, but they were okay with the process. And so having respect for that and trying to enforce that uh, in order to give folks, you know, um, their day in court, essentially, I think is incredibly important. I think that in many respects, approaching it like that, especially as a trial judge, kind of you, you make things easier, not just for yourself as a judge, but also for the parties uh, when they have, when the rules of the game are established and established early. Uh, so I think in the courtroom and, and also just in the um, sort of atmosphere uh, of my work life, that's kind of one thing that's, that stands out. I don't have the benefit of Judge Henderson because it's just so frenetic uh, with a dynamic practice and just decisions and cases coming through. And it's just, it's madness and trying to balance it is really tough. Um, but, you know, I, I go to lunch um, and I, you know, a lot of folks will eat lunch at the courthouse and work through lunch. I try to get out. I try to go. I'll, you know, even if it's, forgive me, fast food, <laughs> you know, I'll, I might get it and go to the park and just sit there and eat my lunch and just sort of relax. Um, I think it's incredibly important that you don't neglect your family because, uh, you know, our professional lives at some point do end. And we have families uh, that depend on us not only while we are professionals, but also uh, that we're going to be living with the rest of our lives. So I think it's important not to do that. And that can be a challenge in many respects, especially as a lawyer, uh, but also as a judge. And I think some of the same things that Judge Henderson mentioned and Justice V. Hill mentioned, exercise and trying to have hobbies and things outside of work that sort of take your mind off of what you're doing uh, will help, help you be refreshed. All right, thank you. I, I wanna follow up with you. Um, when you talk about, well, first I wanna just share that I agree with you that decision-making is so important. That's what we're there for, right? And I remember Judge Diane Del Santo told me when I first started, be there, meaning show up, be fair, and then rule baby rule. Do you guys remember that? I think yeah. maybe Justice Frankini started that. But anyway, um, I remember hearing that and thinking she's right. They just need a decision. They don't need you to just take your time and say, I'll just, you know, so I really appreciate your um, ability to make sure that you um, respect that oath that we take around giving those, giving justice, right? right. Um, and I do think that's a balance, but you know, I'm really curious about what do you do? Like, let's say you have one of those days where you've, you've just um, presided over an intense murder trial or whatever, but you come home and your you know, family needs you to sort of be Brett there, not the judge. How do you make that transition in your, is there something you do in your head or something you do? What do you do to sort of leave it all behind when you get home? Well, I'll tell, I'll be honest with you. I, I think that there are aspects where I, I'm not sure I can always leave it behind. Uh, it's always with me. And um, maybe this is good. Maybe this is bad. Maybe it's useful, uh, maybe detrimental, but sort of early on in my life, based on my life experiences, I learned to compartmentalize certain things, which I think um, 
you know, some folks might think is unhealthy, but in, in other respects, the way it manifested in my work life has been useful for me. So I'm not sure that I always leave it behind. Um, I do have, I live in a house filled with women. Um, I have a wife, daughters, and a dog and a cat. And uh, so all these strong female characters that will uh, not hesitate to <laughs> get me grounded quickly. Um, so, but at the same time, I have folks who love me and give me support and sort of a, a way to tap in and sort of leave the work behind. Uh, but at the same time, you know, it's not uncommon for things to stick with me uh, for a while. And there's there's still cases that I have, decisions that I've made that I, you know, there's really no, was it the right decision? I don't know. Um, and so I made the best decision I could, and I hope that it was the right decision. So those are sort of, I don't know where they go in me, uh, where they go in my head or in my heart, but they're there. Uh, I know it because they do come up periodically and I think about them. Uh, but I, I do think that you have to sort of tap into whatever resources you have at home to kind of uh, live, a, live a different life than what you do at, at work. Mm -hmm roadblocks or what kind of things when you haven't been resilient in your job what was it that stopped you like what was it that made it so hard for you to really rely on those tools have you ever had those kind of times and do you remember what those look like um let me start let's go backwards um or actually let's just change it up judge henderson um i think I can think of like kind of like two distinct times in my life, right, where that was something that happened. I think when I first started my own law firm, right, because you are now responsible for staff, um, uh, running a business, which is completely different from being a government lawyer, right? So it was just like this new overwhelming, you're a lawyer and a business person. And then when I first became a judge, I mentioned, right, like my first week was the day of the shutdown. So I was, you know, largely at home trying to figure out how to be a appellate judge by myself. Um, although uh, Chief Judge Jennifer Autrep and uh, Miles Hennessy were really great during that time period. Um, but I think, right, when you just have like these like overarching things of stress, um, especially when it's something new and you're not used to it and you're trying to figure out how to go into that new space, you let some of those things that you would normally do fall off, right? Like maybe for me, like I'm not meditating as much. Or I mentioned I stopped working out when I first became a judge. And then you start realizing, right? Like your reactions to things are more um, sensitive than they normally would be, or you're taking things more personally than you normally would be. Um, or you are quicker to get annoyed by things that wouldn't normally annoy you, right? Um, and kind of recognizing that that's happening, I think, first and foremost, before you allow that to become your new norm. Um, and sitting down and saying, okay, like, why am I feeling this way? What are my tools? Am I not using them? You know, how do I come back to that? And kind of, you know, with that resiliency, like balance myself back out again. Um, so I think just recognizing that in yourself when, you know, your fuse is a bit shorter than it normally is, um, coming back to yourself and saying, okay, I know I have these tools. I know I have these things. Um, even to what, um, Judge Loveless was just saying, right? Like, I know I have these hobbies. I haven't been doing them for the last couple of months. Like, how come I'm not going, right? And rebalancing and like 
almost forcing yourself to kind of go back into those healthy habits that you know that you have those things that you know will make you feel better. Um, so you're handling the world a bit better. Um, one of the things I love to do is I love to go dance in Santa Fe on Sundays. Um, but that's a trip, right? It's a two hour drive there, or, you know, round trip, um, the time there. So it could be a big chunk out of my Sunday. And I also know it's really important for me to do. So when I haven't been doing it for a while, I kind of think to myself like, oh, I need to go, right? And force myself to go, even though I'm like, oh, I could be working on an opinion. I could be getting this done. Like, you know, trying to make sure that I'm making that time for myself when I stop doing it um, is very, very important. I love what you're talking about, about being the observer and like seeing yourself and saying, I'm not in a good space and I can tell now, but it's, it's that moment, right? Where you have to stop and say, okay, wait a minute, something feels different. Um, I love that you're able to uh, reflect and do that. Let me look um, towards Justice Beehill. What do you think? What do you think about what it, in your career, what stopped you from being, using those tools of resiliency? What's, what's happened? Well, I found I found that the, the system, our judicial system, our system of justice can create roadblocks to personal growth and satisfaction. So I looked at it a little, this question a little bit differently in terms of what can I do to solve and open up barriers to okay. how this can work better, not only for judges, but for litigants, for the public. You know, so so I look at it like our job sometimes our system can create these um, be very onerous and be and sluggish. So how can I bring ideas and facilitate change in a judicial system that open up the administration of justice for all for everyone and so. Um, you know, even talking about judicial wellness, for example, and realizing that, you know, judges need support for this work. It's very isolating. It's very taxing, as we've heard from, from, um, from Judge Loveless and, and, and Judge Henderson this morning that, you know, there's, there, the, the, the job itself can be very challenging. Um, so how do we make it better for everyone? How do we make it better for our judges? And so I, I approached it in, in several ways. I looked at ways to bring solutions to our judicial processes. Um, for example, in children's court, you know, I used to preside over children's court cases and kids would be brought into the courtroom in shackles. And I thought that was pretty, pretty um, um problematic for them. Um, and, and also they would, I would hear these cases with all of them present. So there was a lot of peer pressure. And I said, stop, we're going to take each case separately. And that opened up um, mm -hmm. a more effective administration of justice for each individual youth. And, and it took some, to some time to, to, to throw out the old and bring in the new way of doing things. And I wanna encourage judges to do that, to think outside the box about how we can do things better for not only each other, but for the public, for the litigants. And so the youth would come in individually and they would be more honest and forthright about what they needed without the peer pressure, They're the other teenagers sitting in the courtroom, listening to them, 
and so forth. Um, children brought in in shackles. I thought, well, this is not necessary or right. So working with law enforcement throughout New Mexico and saying only when there's a, a serious uh, security threat should a youth be brought into a courtroom in shackles. And that's that's rare. Uh, so I found uh, removing roadblocks and barriers to the administration of justice was a way that I found great a great deal of, again, personal satisfaction, professional satisfaction and growth. Um, of course, um, I love uh, Judge Henderson's um, uh, meditation, I think breathing, I think being healthy, making sure you're getting enough rest, and making sure you're keeping all of this in perspective. Um, you know, we are public servants, we're here to, to do our best uh, for the greater good. And, and like Judge um, Loveless mentioned, you know, you go home at the end of the day and say, did I do my very best? Uh, did I make decisions timely and, and effectively? Um, and that's what we have to live by uh, because that's what we're called upon to do. And I think we have to be kind to ourselves in what we're asked to do uh, as judges. So that's what I did as a judge and, and justice. And, and, I, and I hope that that, you know, provides some, some um um, guidance uh, of how others might approach being judges in our system. Thank you so much. I love listening to how you were thinking out of the box and out of the institutional culture and how can we change it for the better. I think that's such a brilliant way for us to look at our jobs because we are thinkers and we're at the top of our game, right? We're there to, to make those decisions and solve those problems. I want to ask, that makes me think of... Um, and this is just whoever wants to answer, so you can let me know, but how can we as judges support those lawyers in our courtroom in really encouraging them to be resilient? And if you need a minute to think about it, but what can we do as judges to make sure that we're not only doing top down with our staff, but we're also bringing it into the courtroom? I know, Justice Veal, you've talked about like our demeanor, you know, how we um, are, are calm and we're friendly and we, you know, we have a positive attitude. Are there any other tangible things we can do? Um, and, and Judge Loveless, you talked about, I take lunch, which means the attorneys get to take lunch, right? Are there any other things you can think of that we can do as judges to really support the attorneys out there? Well, you know, I um, when, when I became a judge uh, and, and after I was here for a while, I kind of, to sort of uh, explain to folks like what the change is as far as the level of stress. Um, as a as a litigator, a trial attorney, um, I, I looked at it like there are peaks and valleys. Like you have, you know, you have circumstances where there's high levels of stress, uh, but they don't happen as frequently. And then it goes down sort of and you have low levels of stress. And then it peaks back up when you go to trial and it has high levels of stress. Whereas a judge is just like an even line. It just goes, it's <laughs> mid-level stress that is persistent and never ending. And that presents its own kind of challenges. I think that uh, sort of to take it back to, to lawyers and how they deal with it, um, obviously there's going, the lawyers are, they have, especially with trials, they're, it's much more performance-based. Um, they have obligations as far as preparation in order to, uh, and logistics to present a case or to defend a case. And so there's a lot of stress that comes along with that because 
a lot's riding on it and what they do. I think that one thing that I learned as a lawyer, uh, and this took a while, and it had to do with the kinds of cases that I that I prosecuted for a long period of time uh, were crimes against children. And so I had a, I, I believed in my cases. Um, I believed that justice needed to be done and I was personally invested in it. And I, I think that's okay. I mean, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I think that in some respects is expected of lawyers. Um, but I also learned after losses were extremely painful because I felt like uh, justice was not done. But at the same time, um, justice is the process and it's following through with the process. Uh, you represent a cause or a litigant, a party, and you present your case. And ultimately the process, which you have to have faith in, makes a determination, whether it's a judge or a jury, about whatever the outcome may be. And you just have to have faith in the process and not to be so vested in it that the outcome determines whether you're successful, whether you are getting job satisfaction, it's the process that you're uh, that you're expected to be um, involved with and do it effectively. And so as a judge, I try to help the lawyers to be able to do their job. It not only makes my job easier, but it also uh, helps them to do their job, which I think makes a better product in the ultimate cause of justice. So, Thank you for that. Those are great words of wisdom for the attorneys out there listening. I, um, I'm going to end with sort of a surprise. I hope, I know you probably don't like surprises, but I'm going to ask you from this podcast and from thinking back on your resiliency, can you give me one word that really kind of symbolizes what you kind of said, what you stand for, what you think about, how you handle your life? I tried to uh, try to really stretch that out so you could think. Um, so let me go to whoever wants to just jump in. What's your word as we end this podcast? Justice Veal, I'll go to you first. I, I would say calm. Okay. Thank you. I appreciate that. What about you, Judge Henderson? Balance. Definitely balance. Okay. And I left you for last. Judge Loveless, what's your word? I don't like surprises. <laughs> <laughs> I would say respect. Respect for the process and respect for other people. Uh, and no matter what level or in, in what way that manifests itself, um, I think that that's sort of uh, your you're basically, um, it's, it's a, it's a, uh, that is what justice is. I mean, it's a special, it's, it's about human dignity and uh, things that are fair. And I think that having respect uh, is an important aspect of that. Wow. Thank you so much. Thank you to all three of you. I can't tell you how much we appreciate your wisdom, your words of wisdom, your um, vulnerability and sharing all the things that you do to support yourself. I just think that was very powerful. And I know the attorneys, I hope you, you that are listening are learning what it looks like behind the robe, or I guess I'd say behind the curtain of what it looks like on our side of the bench. We all know how hard you work and we all know that we wanna support you in being resilient as well. So if you have any comments about the podcast, please send them to us so that we can get your feedback. But otherwise, I just want to thank everybody and um, say that we all need to stay well. So I think we can say goodbye. Thank you. Thank you for listening. This episode was produced by the State Bar of New Mexico's Wellbeing Committee and the New Mexico Judges and Lawyers Assistance Program. All editing and sound mixing was done by Blue Sky Elon. Intro music is by Gil Flores. The views of the presenters are that of their own and are not endorsed by the State Bar of New Mexico. 
The content is not intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment, or legal advice. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified health provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition.